0: Calvary Chapel. I'm glad that you guys are here with us and uh, that you didn't allow the Colorado spring kind of weather that we have to stop you from coming. Um, there's a few announcements here for you guys that are in the bulletins. We have our men's breakfast that's um, coming up here pretty soon if you see that there. Um, it's going to be May 21st and um, at 8 a.m. and that, That's here at the church. Yeah, here at the church, and um, it's uh, no charge. Um, There'll be a time of fellowship, a time of eating some pretty good food, and um, a time of of teaching in God's Word, so please come and do that. Also, it looks like the ladies are going to have another ladies' night out, coming Friday, uh, May May 20th at 7 p.m. It's going to be here at the church, Vicki? Okay. You're going to be doing some cool girl things? Okay. It's a mystery. Just cool girl things. So if you want to come do cool girl things, and oh, you got to bring a snack though too, and a friend. Okay. So please bring a snack and a friend if you want to do cool girl things on Friday, May twentieth, here at the church. Um. Huh? Oh yeah, that's not in here. Oh the, the we have flyers though. prayer in the park, um, National Day of Prayers. Uh, uh, happens to fall on Cinco de Mayo. Olé. <laughs> May 5th, Thursday, in the park, right? At from 5 to 7. So uh, I never get them right. Which park? Veterans, park? Veterans Park. And that's the one by Highway 50. The rocket, the rocket ship. Yes. So um, it's going to be a community-wide event. And we're partnering with a bunch of other churches uh... in the community to do that and um... should be a lot of fun so please come and join us for that uh... if you need a flyer or you want to take one to hand out to somebody else there are still some flyers left on the information counter uh... genesis chapter two if you want to turn there or open your bible please to genesis chapter two continuing our study through the book of genesis we're going to be picking back up in verse four and um, with supernatural act of God, be able to get through the chapter. <laughs> um, it, it's it's really cool. I love how God always orchestrates the study um, and and worship and um, the things that were going on, and even being communion uh, Sunday. And um, I love that because there's no there's no. Human planning in all this, you know, um, and and going, okay, we're gonna make sure we're in this passage of scripture on this day of the month, and and then um, you know the message goes out to whoever is leading worship and go, okay, these are the songs that we really want to try to coordinate or orchestrate. There's none of that going on, but nevertheless, the Holy Spirit, who's in control of all things, always puts these things together perfectly. I love that. There, I once went to a church. Was, I didn't go to a church, but I was. At a meeting at a church and it was a mega church and um not that mega churches in and of themselves are bad but the 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 staff that we were meeting with there were boasting if you will in the fact that it takes them nine months to prepare for a sunday morning in regards to the production that takes place that the pastor would prepare the message nine months ahead of time give that to his staff, and from there, they would choreograph everything that you would see and take place through that. And I'm like, wow, if you need to use the Holy Spirit, you could do it in nine minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's it's just a reminder for me that what we do when we come to church, it's not about a production, it's not about... Um, anything other than spending time in the presence of God. And God has a message for us. And the message is brought forth through the worship. And, and it's brought forth through the word. But the message is always brought forth, also brought forth through the body of Christ. Meaning that the time that we get to spend together before and after is the opportunity for God to speak through us. And, and God speaks to us so that he might speak through us and um, make things known to us. And so the songs this morning, I love them. And even where we're going in this study, where we just happen to be um, here in chapter two, it, it, it ties together so perfectly with, with just this time of remembrance in regards to communion. You know, it's been said, I'm sure you guys have heard this, it's been said that the Bible is God's love letter to us. Who's ever heard that? Yeah, I mean, it's God's love letter to this. And in my study of God's word, I have found, and maybe you too, that every single book of the Bible... And, and I would even step out to say that maybe even on every page of the Bible. But for sure, in every book of the Bible, it contains examples of God's love for us. It also contains the expressed thoughts of God's love towards us. And in addition to that, it also contains, they contain the words of God's love that God speaks to us, where God tells us, Hey, I love you, and this is how, and this is why. Very personally and very intimately. And it's, on, it's in at least in every single book of the Bible. I know that to be true. And I love the the, the thoughts of God towards us and the words that of God that God speaks to us and all these examples. And 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 I really love Psalm 40, verse 5, where the psalmist writes and he says, This He says, Many O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done? And your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I were to declare, if I if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God's in love with us, and he's written us a letter. A story, an account, and from the very first page to the very last, and all the pages in between are the thoughts and the words and the expressions of God's love, the acts of God's love for us. And I point this out as we continue on through our study of the book of Genesis, because truly at the core of chapter 2, here in chapter 2, even the things that we studied last week and which we're going to study through this week, at the core of chapter 2 is this message of God's love for us. And in it, we see that everything that God has done with the creation and through the creation is an example, it is a thought, and it is a demonstration of God's love for us. Let me say that again. Everything that God has done with the creation and through the creation is an example, a thought and a demonstration of God's love for us. Because of this, chapter 2 can be seen as a beginning of something else, meaning that it's a beginning of the account of God's love for us. Remember, I have told you that the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings, and and it accounts the beginning of many different things. Well, if you want to know You know, we go to the cross and we say, yeah, we see God's love for us on the cross. But, you know, the first example, the first demonstration, the first manifestation or accounting of God's love for us as men and women, his children, his creation is here in chapter 2. It's the beginning of God's love for us as we are told about this unique relationship um, that God has called us to have with him. It's different than any other thing that God's created, that relationship that we are called or have been designed to have. And in light of this, we see and understand that our relationship with God and the uniqueness of it is by design. And that every single aspect of our relationship with God reveals his love for us. And we're gonna we've talked a little bit about the different aspects of the relationship that we're called to have with God or that we've been designed to have by with God. But we're gonna look at some more of them here in chapter two. And again, if chapter two is the root or the focus or the beginning of God's love for us, these aspects of God's Uh, of our relationship with God are just manifestations or just avenues of how God reveals his love for us. And not only that, it explains these aspects of our relationship that we're called into and designed for with God. It explains our purpose in life, ultimately our primary purpose in life. So many people, you know, if I'm created, then they go, why'd God create me? What's my purpose in life? And, and so often we think that our purpose is wrapped up in an education or in a job. You know, it's what we do. And that's not it. That's not what God's created you for. It's not what he's designed you for. Ultimately, now all of those things may be part of, of, of what God's called you to be. But that's not, what, that's not the purpose of of your life you know it's 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 men the purpose of our life isn't to be good at whatever job we do ladies the purpose of your life isn't to just be a, 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 a mom and i use that word just in a light word not like the world does but there's a greater call in your life than mother or 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 spouse which is very noble it is it's, it's one of the greatest things but that's not the purpose for why god created you for why does god designed you Think about it. God has created us and designed us for that love relationship with him. That's what's primary. God could have created us for any purpose. As a matter of fact, you look at the creation, and someone told me as I was talking to them about this, and we were kind of thinking about it, he said, other than mosquitoes, I see how everything has a purpose in God's creation. What is the purpose of a mosquito, you know? But, you know, you think about from the very smallest insects and, 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 and you know, one of the things, my, my wife loves the peonies flower. You guys, they start to bloom about this time of year and they're beautiful. But when, when, when the peonies flower buds before it blooms, it's got a thick outer coating on the outside of the, of the bloom, the, uh, of the blossom. And um, if you have any of these peonies, what you know is is that there's always massive ants that come out about this time of year. And, I mean, they cover the peonies. If you don't know what they're for, like this one person did, they went out and then sprayed their peonies with insecticide and killed all of the ants. Well, you know what happened? The buds didn't blossom. And the reason why is, is because the ant eats that outer wax shell around the the bud and that permits this beautiful flower to open up. Evolution is amazing. (laughs) Obviously, God designed it to be like that, right? And everything in the creation has a purpose by design. And God could have created us as human beings for any purpose, anything, Yet, the Bible teaches us that God created us for the ultimate purpose of being loved by Him and in turn for us loving Him back. That's the core. That's the foundation. And so I pray that we see and understand this as we continue through chapter 2, that we come to know this in our heart. Because when we're rooted in that truth, when we see what we've been divinely created for, to love God and for Him to love on us, everything else in this world becomes a secondary thing that we see as kind of icing on the cake. As a matter of fact, we live our lives in a completely different way, with a completely different light. Now last week we made it through the first three verses of where we read that on the seventh day of creation, God rested. God rested. I like, to, I like to put it this way because it's, it's, it, when you really study it out, it, it, it comes across like this, that God created the seventh day and he filled it with his rest. God created the seventh day and he filled the seventh day with his rest. And it goes back to that design That plan of creation where God created something and then he filled it. God created something and then he filled it. And then on the seventh day, it says the Lord rested. He created a seventh day of creation, part of the seven days of creation. And in it, he filled it with his rest. And when God rested on the seventh day, it was in order to give us an example. Remember, we talked about that last week, so that we too might cease from the labors of this life, so that we too may set aside um, all other things in order to be renewed by God through spending time with him, by enjoying that love relationship that we've been designed and created for. And by this, we see that man has been created with a need for God. Through the day of rest, through the Sabbath, we see that man has been created for a need, a need, with a need for God, and, and man's friendship with God is the foundation, that aspect, that foundational aspect of, of man's relationship with God is the foundation to all the other aspects of the relationship that we've been called into with God. And building from that friendship relationship foundation, we see that man's worship of God is really second to in an order of things, in regards to an aspect of our relationship and our, our worship. And that's because our worship of God, our praise of God is always responsive. It, 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 it's in response to who God is, in response to what God has done, um, in response to God's love for us. And the fact of the matter is, is, as we rest in the presence of God, we'll be given all of these reasons, reasons to respond to God, reasons to give him our worship. Yet, the starting point for our responsive worship, it begins with the knowledge. The starting point for our responsive worship to God, that aspect of our relationship with God, begins with the knowledge that we've been set apart, that you're different, that you're unique from every other created thing that God's made. And in doing so, God has designed us, God has formed us for eternity. The uniqueness to that created part of us is that we have been designed and created for eternity so that we can know God in a way that no other created thing can. Now, as we pick back up in verse 4 and we continue on through this chapter, um, man's worship of God and also man's service or loyal service to God and the authority and provision from God is what's being revealed to us through the retelling of the creation account. Okay, These are the additional aspects of our relationship with God that's rooted in the love relationship that is being revealed to us here in chapter 2. Again, it's, it's the worship of God, man's worship of God, man's service and loyalty to God or, or loyal service to God. And also, the last part man's provision from God, these are what are being revealed to us through the retelling of the creation account. And the practice of briefly stating a series of events and then retelling specific facts or certain things about that prior mentioned event in order to explain. One key point, or in other words, to bring out a, a focus of something of the total that's been brought forth, it's, it's a biblical principle that is found all throughout Scripture. It's called the law of reoccurrence. And the retelling of the creation, creation story here in chapter 2 It's really the Holy Spirit's way of emphasizing God's love for us and explaining man's purpose for life, which is seen and these additional aspects of our relationship with God. Now, I point this out to that detail because there are some people who do not believe in the creation account that will attempt to use the Bible against the Bible, and they will say, Well, which creation count do you believe? The one in Genesis chapter 1 or the one in Genesis chapter 2? As if if there was two different creation accounts. And 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 when you begin to understand this principle that I'm talking to you about, again, you see the, the connection of scripture. You see how scripture complements, not contradicts in any way. There's no two creation accounts. You have the creation account, the six days of creation in, in Genesis chapter one, and then when we pick back up in verse four, you have a, a retelling in order to bring forth specific things. And so that's what we read as we continue on. And if you'll join with me in verse 4, it says, this is the history right there, right? This isn't, doesn't say, this is a second type of creation. It says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made them or made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb was on the field which had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from verse six, the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils, and the breath breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. let's stop there, Father, I pray God that as we go through your word. That we would see the depth of your love for us, the foundation place for this relationship, this love relationship that we have with you, and everything, God, that's to flow from that. Help us to see, God, from the truth of your word, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And that it's a blessing to walk in those plans and purposes. Father, help us to see and know this without any kind of doubt in our hearts so we may have confidence and be brave and courageous in the life that you've called us to live. That we would wait with hopeful expectation for your return. Knowing, Lord, that we've been redeemed. That we've been restored. That even when we blow it, God, your grace is more than enough. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now. In these verses, and in the light of the creation being recounted here in these verses, we see that the focus or the main key points that are being illustrated is really being put on um, the creation of man and our relationship to God. It's not about the, the, the focus isn't being put on the birds of the air or the fish of the sea or the heavens with the lights. The the main focus, the recounting or the retelling that we're having here is so that we get more information about us. This part of creation that is us, that, that relates to God in a unique and special way. In the retelling of the creation story, it reveals God's desire for us to see that we have been created by Him and that we are very, very, different than any other created thing by telling us that we have this special relationship with Him, by telling us that we have a unique relationship with Him, one that is different than any other created thing. Yet the world, guys, the world would have us believe otherwise, that we're not unique, that we're not special, that we're not different. They would, they would have us believe otherwise as they devalue human life And devalue the sacred things that God has given to man that set us apart from all other created things. But it's not the fact that we've been created with some kind of special or precious materials that makes us special. Considering if we look back to chapter one, it tells us that man was formed from what? The dust of the ground the dust of the earth. And the truth is, is that our physical bodies are carbon-based just like all the other plants and all the other animals around us. And, and I did a little bit of research and if you were to um, choose cremation at your death and you were to, your human body was to be burned and you were to separate all the elements that make you you as far as on a carbon-based level in any kind of uh, 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 um, um, precious whatever might be in you as far as a, as a physical being, you would have in terms of a monetary worth a total of about $5.50. But it's not what we're made of that makes us valuable. Rather, it's the fact that we've been made in His likeness. That's what makes us valuable. And when God breathed life into us, you know what happened is we were given a soul, a spirit that lives on beyond the physical after the body returns to the earth. The point is, is that you and I, as a special created things, we bear the very image of the eternal God of the created, who created all of the universe. We bear his image. We've been created in his likeness. And, and in light of that, we see that we've been created to live for all eternity, to live in fellowship with Him. And this is important to note for many reasons. To begin with, this helps us understand the value of human life. But, for the, but, the, but the foremost reason for why it's important for us to know, the foremost reason why it's important for us to understand that God has created us in his image is due to the fact that man's worship of God, man's service to God, man's loyalty towards God is rooted in the understanding of this truth that we've been created in his likeness, given an eternal part of us that will be in eternity, hopefully in the presence of God for all eternity. King David understood this, and he wrote of it in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. And in David's words revealed to us is the second aspect of our relationship to God or with God. When David said this in verse 13, he said, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. He says, I will praise you. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul, my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. The point is, is when David... David um, meditated in this psalm when he considered, when he meditated on the fact that he had been uniquely created by God so that he might know God, so that he might have fellowship with God, praise and worship was his response. And man's worship of God is the second aspect of our relationship with God. We have friendship fellowship with God, a love relationship with God and out of that flows worship praise but true worship of God is always responsive and responsive worship starts with this understanding that we have been uniquely created that God set us apart from every created thing why for him that's the purpose of why we've been created for him And it flows from this understanding, praise and worship, it flows from the understanding that He has formed us in His likeness. And there is nothing about us that is hidden from Him. Therefore, the eternal part of us is motivated. Do you see that? The eternal part of us, the soul, is motivated and even, dare I say, compelled With that knowledge, with this understanding, there's a compelling uh, response that we cannot deny with inside of us to worship God in humility, not just as the creature to the Creator, but as one who is deeply loved. Now in verse 8, as we read on, it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, we read this a little bit last week. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So God created a garden. The man whom he had formed, the man who he had, who he had breathed life into, God took him and he said he put him in the garden. And then there's the description of the garden as we, as we read on down. And then it talks about the rivers and those kinds of things. And then in verse 15 it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To tend it and to keep it. And then, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but, verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, in these next sets of verses, we read about two additional aspects of created man's relationship to God. And these created aspects are additional things that further set us apart from, it sets us apart from the creation, but it also sets us above everything else that is created. See, in the the secular world, in the humanistic world's point of view, they, they say that human life is at least equal, if not, we say, even less than a lot of animal or created other life that's out there. And it's rooted in, the, in their lack of understanding of these two additional aspects that we're going to talk about now. And where we see that God sets us apart and above from every other created thing. And when we read here in verse 15, if you look there, that God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden. He says that he did so in order to tend it and keep it. And in this, we see that man alone, man alone was given a gift. Not the garden, the garden wasn't the gift, it was a gift, but the gift in relationship to our, our relating to God, the gift that God gave man that sets us apart and sets us above every other created thing was the gift of authority, dominion, to rule over all of the earth. This was also declared back in chapter 1, verse 26, where God said, hey, let us create man in our image, and then he gave dominion over every created thing, everything that he created. It's almost as if God said, let us create man in our image, and we know that part of that is the eternal aspect that God also possesses, an, an attribute, and uh, that we're like God in that way. We're not, we're not a God, but we're like God in that we have eternity in our hearts, like God's eternal. But Also, we've been created in God's likeness in where God is ultimately sovereign, right? He has power and authority, and he's given to man a measure of power of authority. Like him, we have power and authority over the creation. But when we read here or read on in verses 16 and 17, where we're told about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how God commanded us, saying we can eat from all of the trees except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we also see that man was given a second gift, and it's called free will. The gift of free will. And in light of this, these, these two additional aspects of man's unique okay, relationship to God, authority and free will, and in light of the, the the this unique, these unique aspects of our of our relationship um, uh, with God, uh, the dominion, if you will, over creation also and the free will, we must understand and never forget this: that with privilege comes responsibility. Right? You've heard that before. With privilege comes responsibility. Now, in light of all this, we see that God having created us, remember, this is all about that foundation of a love relationship. So, as we look back to that, as we we remember and we understand that God's created us for a love relationship with Him, we see that He's also created things for us. That's a demonstration of His love. He loves us and He created things for us. What? Everything that we see the stars in the heaven, the moon, the sun, the galaxies the earth beneath our feet, the mountains, the seas, all of the animals that are in them, the air we breathe, God created it for us. It was a gift. He loves us and He's given us things. He's given us this world, this creation for us to enjoy, for us to live in. And in light of this, as we see these things and consider these things, we got to know that God expects for us to tend them and keep them. That's what he says. You know, when you give a gift that's dear to you or you buy your kids something special, you know, you want them to take care of it. And with this gift of the creation, you know what? We're ultimately responsible to God, are we not? That's what we're being shown here. That's what we're being told here is we're ultimately responsible because with authority comes responsibility and we're responsible to God for the things that he has given us and we're responsible in addition to that, not just with what he's given us as the things, but with the authority that God has given to us, we're we're, we're responsible for that as well. Therefore, it's essential for us to be good stewards, to exercise our authority responsibly through this aspect of our relationship with God, through our loyal service to Him. This is evident by what we read here in verse 15. Look back there with me real quick, where it says that man was put in the garden in order to tend it and keep it. The word tend here is the Hebrew word abad. And it literally means, listen, to do work or labor for another as a servant. That's what this word means. To tend or to keep. That word tend abad means to work or to labor for another as a servant. Another, also, excuse me, also the word keep, which is here in the Hebrew, is the word shamar, and it means to guard, and, uh, to 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 watch, and to protect or to save as a watchman. So when we read here about man's call to tend and keep, it means that we're responsible to God to maintain and oversee the gift of his creation that has been entrusted to us. And the fact of the matter is, is that stewardship, which is first revealed to us here, is a principle that's brought forth throughout all of scripture, through the entire Bible. And at the root of stewardship is our service and loyalty to God who owns everything that we've been entrusted with. So whether it's the air we breathe or the water that we drink or the land that we walk on or the plants or the animals that we eat, they all need to be cared for with respect. In addition to this, the mindset of stewardship, it carries into our personal lives, into our individual lives with the things that God gives us individually, such as your spouse or your children or the material things that God's put in your possession. And we must serve God and we must be loyal to him as we tend and keep these things in accordance to his will, not our own will, right? Remember, we've been given a free will. And I say this because many people take advantage or they take this privilege and this responsibility that's been given to us, this gift that's been given to us by God that sets us apart from every created thing, and, and they, they can take that tend and keeping to an extreme. And in turn, listen, when you go to an extreme in the tending and keeping, and I'm going to explain that a little bit, but I want you to see the root of this. When we do this, you ultimately do not serve God, nor are you loyal to him. You, neg- you neglect that aspect of your relationship to God that we've been created and designed for, our service, our loyalty. One of the ways that many do this is by failing to acknowledge, first of all, God as the creator. Okay? Okay. God is the creator who has given this command to be a good steward over everything that he's entrusted to us. And in their failure to acknowledge God as the creator, as the owner of all of the created things, people wrongly believe that they are serving the creation that they're caring for. it. Oh, we love this tree. They believe that they're serving the creation as they care for it. However, in doing so, the creation then takes the place of God and this takes us from the care of the created thing to the worship of the creation. We might see this today in those who call themselves environmentalists. However, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1 and says when we deny, listen, this is where it all roots back to. God is the creator, right? God is the owner. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he says, when we deny the headship, when we deny the power and authority of God and do not give him the honor that he is due, how is that? In a response with our service, with our loyal service to him. He says, he says when we deny the headship and the power of God and won't give him the honor that he is due, Paul says, we begin to worship the creation and not the creator. And when this happens, guys, there's no service to God. Likewise, let me just bring it to the other side of things because there's another extreme, right? If you have one extreme, then you're going to have the other side of it. And there's another side of things. And, when there are, and, and the other side of things on, uh, in the extreme is, is those, there are those who fail to acknowledge God as creator, but there's also those who fail to acknowledge God's authority. To acknowledge the authority that God has given to us through him. And when a person fails to do this, um, the value, when you forget, when you you fail to acknowledge the authority that's been given to us from God, what happens is a person, when they do this, they fail, Um, what happens is the value they place on creation is not the same that God places on it. It's not the same as God. Sadly, when a person does not value God's creation, you know what happens? They abuse it. When you do not value the creation in the same way that God values it, you begin to abuse it rather than tend it and keep it. And this too is the result of denying the headship or the power of God. Understanding that your authority comes from Him. But the abuse is not isolated to just the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the land that we walk on, or to the plants or animals that we eat. See, one who has authority is also one who is Under authority, right? And if I'm going to be under someone's authority and have authority over something, I have to have the same values that they have. What do they see as valuable and what kind of value do they place on it? Why? Because it's not mine, it's his. You know, if you let me borrow your truck or something, I may not see it as valuable as you. And if I don't do that, what's going to happen? I'm not going to take care of it in the same way that you take care of your truck. That's the kind of mindset here. The message: Don't let anybody borrow your stuff. Not just kidding. <laughs> let me say this again: The abuse is not isolated. Often, we think about this in just an environmental way, where they say, "Oh, Christians don't care about the environment, right?" And they want to pollute the air and water. And because if you're not in, a, because environmentalism is a kind of religion. And so they go to the other extreme and say, well, you guys don't care about it at all. That's not true. If we, if we value and see God as the authority and that we're one under authority who's been given authority, we're going to place God's value on it, and God sees it as valuable, not just the air we drink, breathe, the water we drink, or the land we walk on, or the plants and the animals we eat, but more importantly, what we see going on is, is if we don't have the same authority or see that we're under authority with authority, then there's a devaluing and a disregard for human life. And when this happens, guys, there's truly no service to God. Do you see how that all comes back to? It comes back to this aspect of service and loyalty to God. And in light of this, we need to see that there's a balance for us to maintain as we take our place between the Creator and the creation as God's stewards. And if we remember that our stewardship is first about loyalty, service to God, we will not forget that with privilege comes responsibility, and we will not forget that we've been commissioned by God to labor for him as his servants by tending and keeping that which has been entrusted to us. Why? Because the root of that is an aspect of our relationship to God, which is our service and our loyalty. Again, in verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, listen, loyal service to God is truly an important aspect of our relationship to God or our relationship with God. But even more important is the motivation behind it. Okay? What motivates your service, your loyalty to God? And in verses 16 and 17, what I just read here, we see that, that God having breathed life into man, we see that he desires that our service, he desires that our loyalty, that our relating to him, and, and, and our love, he desires that it all flows from a want-to response, not a have-to. It's a want to, not a have to. And this is why man was given free will, so that he might choose to serve God, that he might choose to follow after God, that we might choose to love God. And, and, and in this, there was given a test, a test to determine where our loyalty would lie. And so God told man that he could eat freely from the tree of the garden, any one of them, but of the tree of the knowledge of good of evil, this one tree that we shall not eat. This was the opportunity for man to disobey his creator. That's what this was. And this opportunity reveals the fact that God's desire is for a love relationship with us. God's desire is for a love relationship with us. (laughs) And not a have-to relationship. I really don't know how to I feel like there just needs to be more of an emphasis put on this that 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 God desires for us to choose to love him. He doesn't desire to he doesn't want to force us into a relationship with him. That's a better way of saying it. And this is why he gives us free will. He gives us the free will to choose to love him. And because God loves us, he told us what would happen if we choose to separate ourselves from him. If we choose with our free will to, 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 to abandon his will. To reject his will. And we must understand that God's desire was not to destroy us by giving us a choice. That wasn't God's desire. Surely if you eat, you're going to die. You know, it's not God's desire. God made it clear when he told man that if we choose to give our loyalty to anything or anyone else that we would surely die. And the underlying reason for this death is because man's choice to eat from the forbidden tree or or any one of our choices to disobey God in any kind of way is really a choice to separate ourselves from God. My will be done, not yours. That's what we're saying. Where we with our free will choose to not be in the will of God. Choose to abandon that love relationship with God. And often we wrongly think that God is punishing us for our sin. You know, if you eat, surely you will die. Or, or if you do this, surely you're going to do that. The blessings and the curses that we even see attached to the law in the Old Testament. But the reality is, the Bible makes it clear that it's the sin that brings the consequence, not God. It's the sin that brings the consequence. In the book of Numbers in chapter 32, verse 23, it affirms all this by pointing out and telling us that when we sin against God, it's not God who seeks to destroy us or seeks us out to destroy us is what it says, but it's the sin that seeks us out. It's the consequence attached to the sin that seeks us out and its desire is to destroy us. In fact, scripture tells us that God pursues us, that when we sin, God calls out to us even when we have chosen to sin, and He does so in order to call us back into a relationship with Him. God's desire is not to destroy, but to restore. That's what we see here. God's desire is never to destroy. It's always to restore. It's always to gather us back to Him. And you know what? This is further example and even explained in a really cool way in the words of Jesus. If you remember... It was uh, Jesus spoke these words in Luke chapter 13 to the nation of Israel as a whole as he spoke it out just before they were going to crucify him on the cross. And Jesus said in verse 34 he said, "O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Even in the midst of the rejection, even in the midst of, 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 of God's people, if you will, the chosen people, the Hebrew people going, we don't want you, we're going to crucify you, we're getting rid of you, Christ said, I just wanted to gather you. I wanted to pursue you, to restore you, to reconcile you. And when God said to man that if, if he were to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would surely die, it was to point out the fact that death is not so much um, uh, to point out the fact that death is not so much the consequence of sin as it is the result of an action. Do you see that? In other words, because God is the creator of all things, He has to ultimately be the sustainer of all things. If God truly created everything, then only everything that he created can be sustained by him. And if God being the creator is also the sustainer of all things, that means that no created thing, listen, if the creation has to be sustained, then no created thing can live apart from the creator. And we can only have life if we remain in the creator's presence, in the creator's will. Remember, it was Jesus who said, and he gave us a good picture of this in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch. He's withered, and they gather him up, and they throw him in the fire and the burn. Why? Because there's no life in them. God being the creator, God being the sustainer, there's no life apart from him. Now, we know that the very first man failed this test that God gave right? And with his free will, he ate from the forbidden tree. We're going to read about this in the chapters to come. And he eventually died. But the truth is, is that we all fail this test, every one of us. Every one of us in our free will choose sin. And in doing so, we separate ourselves from God. We're going to kind of end with this, so the worship team, if you guys want to make your way back up. But you know what? Fortunately for us, God's pursued us. God's given us a second chance. And through Jesus, God has given mankind another opportunity to abide with Him. Another opportunity to be sustained in Him by Him. However, get this guys, this is the cool thing about it. Even in this, even in God's desire to restore us, you know what it involves? Our free will. Even in God's desire to restore us, it still involves our free will. Your decision to freely give your loyalty to Him or to serve something or someone else. See, God's desire is always for our good. Hear this. God's desire is always for our good. And we can trust that he always has our best interest in his mind. And the fact that he created all things and the fact that he gave all things to us for our care and for our enjoyment, it testifies to this fact that God's only got good for us, only wants good for us. Yet he, being a loving God, only asks for our loyalty and for our service. He asks for it. That's such a mind-blowing thing. It's such a humbling thing when you think that God, all-powerful, all-knowing, can be everywhere at once, sovereign and ruler and complete authority and power in every way, says, rather than just demanding He could, He, said, you are, he could just say, you're going to do this. But He asks for our loyalty and for our service. He'll never force Himself upon us even when he knows the things that we might choose may not be good for us. Even when he knows that it may harm that relationship that we've been called into with him. We have a loving father. We have a good father that beckons us, that calls us, that has even come to us and given his life for us so that we may, with our free will, respond to that call to be restored Father we thank you God that you love us we thank you God that you created us uniquely for you we thank you God that you are in love with us and that you call us back to respond to your love with our love and Lord truly there are times when we do our will and not your will and we know, God, that it doesn't go well for us, not because you're punishing us, but because the, the, the very act of being out of your presence is a destructive thing. God, you're the giver of life and you're the sustainer of life. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to see this on a day-to-day basis, that we would forsake the things of this world, those knowledge of trees of good and evil. And God, that we would only eat from the tree of life, from your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to do that in a practical way, God, by just being in love with you in return, allowing our hearts and minds to be focused on the goodness and kindness that you've shown us, and Lord, allow our hearts to respond with you, respond to you. Father, may we go from this place with praise on our lips and with your love in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.